Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Luke 11, 37 through 54, our text today. The last Sunday of the year, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year, is always kind of a, a funny animal because it's after Christmas and we still sing Christmas carols. But it's before the New Year and uh, we're looking forward to New Year. Lots of people still traveling, but I, I'm so glad you're here. Um, but you know, I did something this year I, I almost always do. I messed around at the end of the year and didn't take all my vacation days. And our policy here is if you don't use them, you lose them. Well, I've decided to apply that policy to my sermon. I have eight points today. (laughs) Because this is the last Sunday of the year. And if I don't use them, I lose them. So here we go. Now, in this section of Scripture, Jesus is invited to be the lunch guest of a religious leader of Israel. An unnamed man who is simply described as a Pharisee invites him to his home. Now, at the time of Jesus' public ministry, Judaism was divided into a number of sects uh, similar to political parties. There were four major parties. The Sadducees, you've heard of, these were the religious liberals. They didn't believe in much of anything. Uh, They were in cahoots with the occupying Roman forces. They made a lot of money off of the religious activities of the church, though of of the temple rather, and they didn't really have much of any deep beliefs. The zealots, on the other hand, were at the other end of the continuum. They were very much adherents to the Old Testament, uh, but really politically motivated. Many of them were violent, and they took out their aggression against the Romans every chance they got. The Essenes would be similar to modern-day monks. Many of them lived out in the wilderness and sort of uh, eschewed public life. And then there were the ones we hear the most about in the New Testament, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religiously conservative. They believed the Bible, the Old Testament as they had it. Uh, But many of them had become rather legalistic. And many of them were not motivated, as we'll see today, by the Lord's glory. What is surprising is that Jesus reserved his harshest and most heated and pointed rebukes for the Pharisees. He did not often rebuke immoral people. He didn't rebuke uh, the prostitutes. He he didn't have harsh things to say about uh, what we would view as a very sinful, overtly people. In fact, it was the Pharisees, the most religious people around, that he reserved his harshest criticisms before. And I've often wondered why that is. And this week I was reading the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs specifically. I came across a very familiar text which says this, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife or discord among brethren. Now, it had escaped my notice until last week that every one of those things that God says He hates were true of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are easy targets, I will admit. We could sit back with a safe distance of 2,000 years of history between ourselves and the Pharisees and take our pot shots. 
But I think a more productive of our time this morning would be to prayerfully examine our own hearts and lives and ask God to graciously expose any hint of a pharisaical attitude within us. And I'll tell you from the outset, this is going to be a difficult and painful exercise because I've been doing it all week in this text. None of us enjoy having our shortcomings, our sins exposed publicly, but that is what we need. And as we look forward to a new year, I pray that the Lord will use this text to sanctify us. So let's read it. Luke eleven thirty seven. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. But inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within us charity, and then all things are clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, for you pay a tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. For the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you, in, and you hindered those who were entering. And when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now this morning I want us to look at eight marks of a Pharisaical heart. Not to say, yeah, those terrible Pharisees, but to compare to our own heart to see if maybe some of those things are present. So the first mark of a Pharisaical heart is a veneer of piety. A veneer is a thin layer on an outside which pretends to hold something of substance beneath. You see in verse 37 that this Pharisee asked him to lunch and the Pharisee noticed right away that Jesus did not ceremonially wash his hands. Now he was not concerned with hygiene. He was concerned with tradition. There's nothing in the Old Testament about how to wash your hands before eating a meal. But the Pharisees, remember, would take the Old Testament and to it they would add rules and regulations to the point that it had become a burden on the people. That's why Jesus said that, Come unto me all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And so one of the burdens they laid upon these people were these traditions, these washings, these ceremonial cleansings, and Jesus didn't abide by that. And it caught the notice of the Pharisee. He didn't say anything apparently, but Jesus, of course, knew his heart. And so Jesus says, you Pharisees. 
You clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. Now, I'm sure the Pharisee looked at the cup to make sure it had been washed. He was not talking about a cultural faux pas. He was not even talking about the cleanliness of the utensils. He was talking about the man's heart. He says, you've made great effort with your ceremonial cleansing to let people think everything's all right with you, but it's just a thin veneer of piety. It's all about appearance over reality. And so the first mark of a pharisaical heart is a life marked by spiritual superficiality. It's only on the surface. And one of the things I've noted in, in 25 years of being a pastor is that we can fool one another. Even as pastors, we can be fooled about people's depth or their level of sanctification. I've noted many times people that uh, I think from appearances are very deep and strong in their faith. When some difficult thing comes into their life or their family, sometimes those are the first people to fall apart. And on the other hand, there are people who on the outside we may think are not very deep. They may be kind of rough around the edges. But when those trials and tribulations come into their life, they handle it with grace because their faith is real. It's not a thin veneer on the outside. There's substance to it. And, and I fear that when the history of the evangelical church writ large, especially our own generation is written, that will be the epitaph, that it was a thin veneer of piety. We build huge churches. We have thousands of people who go to conferences. We have Christian music and bookstores. But the truth is the trajectory of our nation is downhill spiritually and has been for many years. And it may be that we have the pharisaical mark of a veneer of piety, a desire to impress man with numbers and buildings and budgets. But man judges on outward appearances, God says. He judges upon the heart. The second mark of a pharisaical heart is an obsession with rules. There tends to be a swinging to extremes in this regard, religiously. One generation teams, tends to be legalistic. That's what the Pharisees were. They, they majored on the minors and they went to seed upon rules. And on the next generation, oftentimes it swings to, to license. That is, we uh, get rid of all the rules and there's just chaos. But at the time that Jesus walked this earth, the Pharisees were legalistic. Now, rules are not bad unto themselves. They're not evil. God gives us rules in the Bible, would you agree? The Ten Commandments to start with. And He gives those not to oppress us or make our lives miserable, but for our own protection. For example, in the area of human sexuality, He says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the reason he does is that he knows that human sexuality is a good and a beautiful gift from him. It's the means that he has chosen to reproduce the race. But when the rules are not abided by, when we go outside of those boundaries, there's death associated with it. There's pain and there's suffering. But that's true in every area of life. God gives us government. Government gives us rules for our own protection. If you don't believe that... Uh, Try driving without rules of the road. Between here and my home is about 3.2 miles, and there are several traffic lights and two of those roundabouts. I don't know how you feel about the roundabout, but I'm a big fan because it really speeds up the traffic flow if people know the rules and abide by them. 
But like all of humanity, people neither know the rules or abide by them. And therefore, there's all kinds of pain associated. But if we took away the rules, took away the stop signs, the traffic lights, the curbs, you could drive on any surface you wanted to, there would be pain and death everywhere. Rules are not bad. But when rules become an end unto themselves, we have a problem. The rules are to point to God. The law has no ability to change a heart. The law points out our need of a Savior. But the Pharisees didn't understand that. They were obsessed with rule-keeping, which was associated with their thin veneer of piety. Now the third mark of a Pharisaical heart is a desire for notoriety. Verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees. Now here in Texas when we say woe, we're generally talking to our horse. We're saying stop. But Jesus was saying more to the Pharisees than stop. He was pronouncing a curse. Judgment on you Pharisees because you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. One of the marks of the Pharisees was they had a desire for notoriety. They wanted to be known as a Pharisee and a particularly pious Pharisee. In another passage in the Scriptures, Jesus rebuked them because He said they made long their tassels and broadened their phylacteries. These guys would attach to their garments long tassels and they would jingle when they walked. And people go, oh, there's a man of God. He's got jingly robes. <laughs> or else they, they would take phylacteries. Now phylacteries were little leather boxes they would attach either to their wrist, but usually to their forehead. They would wrap it up as a headband, and on the front they would make a little box, and then they would write down the law in very minute writing, roll it up in little scrolls, put them in the little boxes, and they would walk around with these things on their head all the time. And Jesus says the Pharisees have broadened their phylacteries. Apparently some of them were walking around with a big box on their head. <laughs> and that seems funny and, and crazy to us, but they did that so that everyone would say, oh, that guy's got a big box on his head. He must be a godly person. You see how silly that is. But that's how they'd come to live, that they wanted to be noticed. And as it relates to Proverbs that we just read, seven things the Lord hates. One of the things the Lord hates is a haughty look, which simply means pridefulness. Now that is a the theme of all of Scripture. God gives grace to the humble, but He rejects the proud. And if there was anything that was uh, common to the Pharisees, it was their spiritual pride. They looked down on others with haughty eyes. Now you contrast that with a true man of God like John the Baptist. When he saw the Lord Jesus, now John did have notoriety. All of Jerusalem was coming out to hear him preach and be baptized. But when he saw the Lord Jesus, what did he say? I must decrease, he must increase was not about John. Now contrast that with the Pharisees when they come in contact with Jesus they said we've got to shut him up so that the people will listen to us. And so one of the characteristics of a Pharisaical attitude is a desire for attention to be in the spotlight. They wanted the best seats. They wanted to sit up on the stage and people take note of them. But Jesus told his disciples that when you go to a function you take the lowest seat. And if they want to invite you to a seat of honor, you, you go ahead. But, but don't demand it. Don't expect it. Now the fourth mark of a Pharisaical heart is 
a defiling impact on others. Look at verse 44. He says, Woe to you, judgment upon you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Now, it's interesting that at different places in the gospel, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as both whitewashed tombs and here as concealed tombs. Now, in the Jewish tradition, one of the worst things that could happen to a person is that they would come in contact with a dead body, a human corpse, because it would make them ceremonially unclean. They had to be set aside for a time. And they didn't want that to happen. And so what they would do with the tombs, which were scattered throughout the countryside, is that they would take lime and crush it up, mix it with water, and make sort of a paint. And they'd take this whitewash and they would wash the, the stone that covered the tomb so that travelers from a distance would know to avoid that particular section of ground. But sometimes those tombs were forgotten and concealed. Grass grew over them. And sometimes people stepped on a tomb and defiled themselves without intending to. Well, that is the condemnation that Jesus is bringing against the Pharisees. It's this. When people interact with you, they part your company worse off spiritually than when they started. Now, I can't think of a stronger rebuke against anyone, especially a religious leader. That when people interact with you, when they hold conversations with you, they're worse off spiritually than when they came to you. What a, a telling statement. But I thought this week, what about me? What about my neighbors and friends so many hundreds of people we had the opportunity to interact with over the holidays. Were they edified with my conversations with them or were they worse off for having been around me? I pray that they were edified. In Ephesians, Paul talks about how any two Christians are to interact with one another. And one of the first things he says is how we speak to one another. He says, may the speech always be for edification. That is, only say those things that are good to advance someone's sanctification. He's not talking about inflating their ego or flattery. He's saying when you interact with someone, leave them better off spiritually than before they interacted with you. But not the Pharisees. They had the opposite effect, and it was one of the great rebukes the Lord gave them. Now, fifthly, we see a hypocritical lifestyle. Verse 45. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Now, there was a, a little bit of difference between a Pharisee and a scribe, a lawyer, but they both dealt with the Old Testament law. And, and this lawyer says, Hey, we feel like you're talking about us too. And Jesus says, You're right. I am. And so he says, Lest he be left out, Woe to you lawyers. We've probably all said that sometime in our life. <laughs> Sorry to any of you who are attorneys. But... Uh, these were not men who, who dealt with uh, civil law. They, they dealt with the Old Testament law. And so th their problem was that they were those who had a, a hypocritical lifestyle. Now, now a hypocrite is a two-faced person. We, we get the word hypocrite from the Greek, and it literally means two-faced. All of you who have uh, studied theater or, or been to the theater know that the universal symbolism of acting are the two masks, right? And those are taken from the Greek theater. In those days they did not have um, electrical amplification that we have here. And so they had these 
usually amphitheaters outdoors, and to amplify the sound of the speaker's voice, they would wear these masks, and in the mask was hidden a little megaphone. But the mask had a second purpose, is that they showed emotion. So if you're sitting on the back uh, row of one of the amphitheaters in a dimly lit place, you can't see the facial features, and so these exaggerated smiles or frowns tell you how you're supposed to feel. It's kind of like the music that plays over the news stories. They're, they tell us how we're supposed to feel about this story. And, and so this was the case. But Jesus says that th these guys are hip hypocritical. He says, you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear. He was talking about these rules and regulations. Remember as it related to the Sabbath. They had put so many rules and regulations on the Sabbath day. And God simply said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And they had made rules about if you could eat a chicken's egg late on the Sabbath, to the point that it had made the Sabbath day a burden for the people. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for this because you have these expectations on others that you don't hold to yourself. None of us like a hypocrite, especially those who claim to be our leaders. It's one of the things that, that I admired about Franklin Roosevelt is I read and studied U.S. history whether he was motivated by sincerity or as a politician, that's the Lord to decide, but he, he did something very wise during the Great Depression. By the way, Roosevelt's the only president to be elected four times. They changed the laws after uh, he died. Now a president can only be elected twice, but he was elected four times. And one of the reasons is he related so well to the common man. He used to have what he called fireside chats where he would sit in a rocking chair and just talk to the American people as if he were their neighbor over the radio. And the word got out that, uh, that he was living like they were in a sense because during the Great Depression people just didn't have much money. And when, when he held a state dinner one time at the White House, he invited dignitaries from all over the world. And do you know what the menu was that night? Hot dogs. <laughs> he fed hot dogs to dignitaries because he says if the American people have to tighten their belt, so do I. Now you contrast that with uh, what Queen Elizabeth of England did last week. Queen Elizabeth gave her annual Christmas address by television to the nation and she was commenting on the hard times that many people were going through and how they all needed to just work together a little harder. And right behind her in the shot was a gold-plated piano. And many of her constituents noted the hypocrisy of that. Well, I'm not condemning the queen. The Lord knows her heart. But the point is this. No one likes a hypocrite. One who claims to be something that he is not. Because hypocrisy is simply a sophisticated form of dishonesty. And the Proverbs tell us that one of the things that the Lord hates is a false witness one that utters lies. And I think the reason that God, that Christ condemned the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is because it was just another form of lying. And then the next mark of a Pharisaical heart is a revisionist view of history. Verse 47 says this, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Now that's a very pointed statement. Remember, what Jesus has said throughout this chapter 11 to his generation, those living in his day was, you're just like your ancestors. Their ancestors, remember, doubted God, murmured against Moses, and fell short of the promised land. Now, 
a lot of these people were very proud of their religious heritage, their genealogies. And Jesus is saying, you shouldn't be so proud of that. And, and yet they wanted to have it both ways. On one hand, they are building monuments to the prophets. They're reading them in their synagogues and saying how great the prophets were. But the truth was their fathers killed the prophets. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to you. He says, you're just like they are. And I'm sure they said, no, we're not. We haven't killed anybody yet. Jesus knew their heart. Their ancestors killed Zechariah. They would kill Jesus. They would kill the Son of God in their lifetime. Of course, Jesus knew that. But we sometimes have a revisionist view of history. We don't want to take an honest assessment of our own spiritual condition and we fail to understand the gravity of our spiritual condition. That's a Pharisee's heart. One more mark of a Pharisaical heart is an obstructionist posture on salvation. Verse 52, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Now what is the key of knowledge? Well, I believe it's the understanding of God's Word. God has revealed Himself through His Word. And if you misinterpret and teach falsely what the Bible clearly says, you have taken away the key of knowledge. He says it's worse than that though. You yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. I, I take it for salvation. Remember Jesus said that the way to heaven is through a small gate and a narrow path and few there be that find it. But the way through that gate is through the gospel which is revealed in the Word of God. But if we don't teach that clearly, those of us who are called to teach it, then we're guilty of two things. One, we will miss the gate, and two, we'll cause others to miss it. And there's a very harsh rebuke for those who don't teach the true gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone, even an angel from heaven, preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. And that's exactly, apparently, what these uh, Pharisees were doing. They were not satisfied that they had rejected Christ. They were trying their best to prevent others from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus called them blind leaders of the blind. That, I think, friends, is why Jesus had such compassion on the lost of Israel. He called them sheep without a shepherd. Those who were supposed to be showing them the way were falling down and delinquent in their duties. Worse than that, in many cases, they were preying on the sheep. That's a Pharisaical heart. And then finally, the final mark here of a Pharisaical heart is a hostile response to correction. Look at verse 53. When he left there, and I'm sure they couldn't wait for him to go. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. Now, there apparently were a few of the Pharisees who ultimately repented and became believers on Christ. Nicodemus, for example, in John chapter 3 was likely a Christian. But the vast majority of them hated Jesus. Now, there's no wonder why if you read chapter 11. I don't know about you, but as I read through this chapter several times this week, I found myself looking through my fingers. He was just blasting them. And, and every time you thought he was done, he would hit it one more time. 
And finally, he leaves, and they are scalded. Now, when someone rebukes you or corrects you, you have a choice to make. One is you can reject everything they say as false and get mad and get sullen and get no benefit from it. And that's many times how we take criticism. But you know, I've found that there's often a hint of truth in even the most outrageous form of criticism. So it takes humility to take criticism, even when it's unwarranted. And by the way, theirs was warranted. Even when you view the criticism as unwarranted, there's usually a hint of truth to it that could be helpful if we're humble enough. But they rejected Jesus' criticism out of hand and became calloused and hardened and determined they were going to get, do away with him. Why did they hate Jesus? For several reasons. One, they felt he was unqualified to tell them anything. Who is this Galilean, this son of a carpenter? Aren't Mary and Joseph his parents? We're educated. We ought to be teaching him. He can't teach us a thing. Another reason they hated him is that he stole their thunder. Remember, they wanted notoriety. But Jesus had throngs of people coming to see him. And they were jealous. But the main reason they hated Jesus is that he told them the truth about themselves. He turned the light on, as we saw last week. But not everyone appreciates the light being turned on. In fact, Scripture says light came into the world, but uh, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They didn't want to be exposed. They didn't want the world to know that they only had a thin veneer of piety. They didn't want to know that they were whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside but full of corruption within. Didn't want the world to know that uh, the inside of their cup was caked with refuse. He exposed them for what they were, and they hated him for it, and their hatred ultimately led them to murder him. And one of the things that the Lord hates, according to Proverbs, are hands that shed innocent blood. And if there was ever innocent blood shed, it was that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I told you this exercise would be painful, but pain sometimes is a good thing. Pain in the human body is the Lord's way of telling us that there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. And if we cover that pain and we fail to deal with the underlying issue, it leads to greater problems and ultimately death. And so sometimes it's painful when the Word of God shines a light into our hearts and lives. The book of Hebrews says that the Word of God is active alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. And a sword, a, a, a very sharp instrument, can be used to kill someone or it can be used to cure someone. A lot of us in this room have had our lives extended many years because someone faithfully, strategically, and precisely used a sharp metal object to remove from our lives something that would ultimately kill us. When this is what the Lord's Word does to us if we submit to it. It points out a problem that needs to be dealt with. And the truth is I expect there's at least some of these eight characteristics of a pharisaical heart in all of us. And I'm talking about 
me included and especially. In fact, that's why I know this is a painful exercise because I've been dealing with this passage all week. And the Lord has rebuked me day after day. And I know on that Sunday between Christmas and New Year, there are people who've been coming to church all their life here today. You're faithful in your attendance. And sometimes the people that are most faithful in their church attendance are those who are most susceptible to a pharisaical attitude because if we're not careful, it becomes a facade. It becomes a veneer of piety. And the way that plays itself out in the church is we, we come to church and we see our friends in Sunday school and they say, how's it going? Great. Couldn't be better. Things are wonderful. And the truth is your marriage is falling apart and your kids are in rebellion and you're struggling every day with sin and, and temptation. Friends, don't do that. Well, we commit to one another in 2019 that when we're struggling mightily with sin, to tell one another. That's why the Lord gives us the church, that we may help one another, encourage one another to good works. Maybe for some of us it's an obsession with rules. And when people don't talk just like us or look just like us or get mad at the same things we get mad about or vote like us, then we look down on them and think they're less than. They're not as spiritual as us. Lord, forgive us of that. May the Lord help us in the year ahead, give one another the benefit of the doubt and be merciful and not judgmental. And maybe for some of us, we have a desire for notoriety, the position of honor, to be the one in charge, the one who gets the accolades and the kudos and the attaboys. You know what a great antidote for that attitude is? It's serving others in anonymity. Giving away money without telling anybody you did it. Mowing someone's yard without letting you know it was you. And fourthly, and here's the one that, that really is where the rubber hits the road. When our friends and neighbors and family members interact with us, do they leave our company with a higher view of God or a lower view of God? Do we defile our neighbors with our interaction or do we edify them? Lord, help us to edify in all that we do. Maybe some of us have a hypocritical lifestyle. We have expectations on others that, that we don't abide by ourselves. Maybe it's our thoughts. Maybe it's what we view on television or the computer. Maybe we're quick to condemn and rebuke the culture and yet the culture is infiltrating our mind. Maybe we have a revisionist view of history as we think about our own conversion. Well, I know I got saved, but you know, I wasn't ever really that bad. Yes, you were. Romans 3, 23 says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are saved except by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive us as a church if we ever have an obstructionist posture on salvation. Meaning, you can come be a part of us and you can come give your life to Christ if you'll be like us. If you'll dress like us and if you'll look like us, if you'll smell like us. Scripture says God has His people in every tribe and tongue. 
May the Lord help us this year to throw wide open the doors of this church to this community. And more importantly, may we go out into the community and freely give away this gospel message. And then finally, may we not have a hostile view of God's correction. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. It's good for us to be rebuked and corrected from time to time by the white-hot light of the Word of God. So don't leave here mad. Don't say that preacher quit preaching and went to meddling today. You say, Lord, thank you that you graciously, through your Word, pointed out some areas of my life that I need to deal with. And with your help in the year ahead, I'll be less pharisaical and more like Jesus. Amen? Let's ask His help. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Sometimes, as we read and study Your Word, it hurts. But it's good. Because that pain uh, tells us there are some underlying things that need to be dealt with that if they're not, will cause us more pain in the future, maybe even death. Father, I'm praying right now for someone in this room who has been convicted of sin and judgment and righteousness by the Word of God. And they have never bowed their knee to your Lordship. They've never called upon you for forgiveness of sins. And I pray that today would be the day that you would lead them to faith and repentance and salvation. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And Father, I thank you that your word uh, for many of us has humbled our hearts today, shown us areas of our life where we've drifted into a pharisaical attitude. Forgive us of that, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace to point out our faults because we want to worship you with clean hands, Lord. Forgive us of any of these areas of our life. Father, we want to begin the new year with a new attitude. Help us to be merciful and kind, long-suffering with one another. Help us to be genuine and sincere, and that when we fail, we'll confess it to one another and not try to be something we're not. And Father, when every member of this church lives like Jesus, we'll have an incredible impact on this community. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.